Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, as always, Mr. David Bugle, and from thebigkickoff.com, it's Nathan Doyle and Neil Dobbs. Now, Leeds United have condemned the abuse received by pundit Karen Kearney after the club's official Twitter account criticised her for doing her job. Speaking on Amazon Prime, prior to Leeds' 5-0 win over West Brom, Kearney suggested that Bielsa's side had benefited from the coronavirus and forced break during the promotion-winning campaign as it prevented the burnout they had seemingly suffered the season before. Uh, Leeds owner Andrea Radziani defended the tweet which said, promoted because of COVID, won the league by 10 points, high prime video sport. But the club have since released a statement condemning the subsequent abuse that Kearney has received. Dave, what's your thought on this one? Yeah, it's, 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 it's just very unprecedented, to be honest. I'm sure there's a tweet somewhere from some club uh, bitching about a, co- a comment before, but it's definitely not something that I can think of. So, uh, you know, obviously the fact that it's coming from Karen Kearney, who was obviously a woman, is that some of the reasons? I don't know, but it's just, I've never really seen it for a long, long time. And as it's been said on a few other tweets and posts from other people, it's basically just encouraging a pylon, basically, whether it's deserved or not. But if you listen to our whole kind of theory, it is down to the fact that the it was the question was asked that they put a lot of energy into their performances and will they burn out? And on um, a couple of seasons before that, it, it has happened. And that's what she was kind of alluding to, it, that it basically helped them. Now, I know they're literally taking her words quite literal in, what, in, in, in the fact that they said, oh, it's because of COVID they won't. It's not exactly what she meant. It's the fact that they got that bit of respite that they could really finish the season strong, which they obviously did with seven wins and two draws, and I think maybe one defeat, and they won it out of cancer in the end. So there's a bit of validity to our point, and I just think it's very unprofessional from a club, in my opinion. And then even, and he's getting very much under the radar, but within two or three replies, Jeff Selling chirped in to say that they were in good form beforehand and was very much happy to stick the boot into Amazon Prime, not necessarily Karen Garney. But um, yeah, just very unprofessional, for, in my opinion. It's, like I said, there's a there's a there's a little bit to it. I don't they they're they're taking it a little bit too literal, and as I said, very much kind of potentially encouraging a pylon that just doesn't need to be there. Neil Karen Carney's assessment on why Leeds got promoted or Leeds United's tweet is there much of an issue here, or is it all blown out of proportion? Yeah, I think it is blown out of proportion, and also I guess the fact that she suffered the online abuse, um, which you know look women commentating on football in general they're probably going to be a little bit more susceptible to the few gobshites out there that want to kind of voice their opinion and go you don't know what you're talking about so we'll probably open it up from that and then coming from a higher power having a go with her uh, probably open the door to that um, but I think it was more or less a case of yeah I mean look everyone's going to have their opinion she wasn't that controversial I mean if Roy Keane had said it would anyone care and um, probably all having a gig and a laugh about it so yeah I think blown out proportion big time when you look at it, I mean, Twitter is one of these places that is, I suppose, those people who really want to give abuse are out there and they want to give abuse. They're there just to give abuse. It's no, Neil, it's no, it's no different, this tweet. I suppose it's the club who, who, who put something back, but there was nothing malicious about it. It was, it was a mere kind of, you're having a dig at us and, you know, what really are you saying? It's... Twitter is one of those places that 
no matter what's commented out there, you're going to get people who are going to slate you. You could say hello, good morning on Twitter and people could lash out over calling you, you know, an arsehole and all that sort of stuff. So it, it's, it's not really... Is it really something that like they get up on their high horse about it a lot? And it's I, I, I don't think it's a it's a male female thing. I just think there's arseholes out there. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I'll give you a great example tonight. So Liverpool guy helps with nil all draw tonight, and I'm in their chat, which is the Red Man TV. And as you're listening to the cast, there's all the comments coming in below it, and the stuff that people are coming out with is absolute nonsense. From guys should be dropped, guys shouldn't play for the club. Nat Phillips is the worst centre-half ever to play. So, unfortunately, Twitter gives people a platform for a voice and then it also gives the armchair or people that can hide behind it, kind of supporters slash slightly mentalers a chance to voice their opinion. So, you're going to get a massive majority of nonsense mixed in with the common sense. And that, again, look, it's the perfect platform for it. Yeah, and I think there was... I was looking through the, the comments on that tweet and maybe one in 50 and maybe one in 40 where there was a, a the odd gobshite who was saying stupid things. Most other people were kind of just voicing their opinion, uh, whether it was uh, whether people liked the opinion or not. It wasn't. I didn't see anything that was uh, sexist. Apart from, as I said, there was one in about fifty. So you're probably talking, you know, four or five, six people who who are doing it. Uh, Nathan, there are plenty of times the top managers have called out pundits for comments they've made before or after games. I can remember Klopp and Mourinho, you know, slating the likes of Neville and Keane and stuff like that. So is it any different when a club tweets something? I think it is. It's like, it's, I've never, like Dave said, I've never seen that like this. I've never seen a club doing it. They always going to get managers doing it. And of course, I'm always going to get fans doing it. But I think you have a club doing it. It's coming from more of a, an official standpoint where a lot of managers are slight pundits. It's usually... More so on the heat at the moment, you get a lot of them after the games, like you said, Klopp, for example, and uh, Lampard and things like that are usually after the games. But to, to sort of take it, and it was taken a little bit out of context, there was no sort of explaining behind it. Like, to be honest, like I didn't really agree with what she said. I thought, even before, cause there was the lockdown, I thought Leeds were, were looking well, and they were looking like they were going to, um, to not slip up and to the game promotion. But yeah, to see a club doing it was just, just baffling to me because it wasn't really in the heat of the moment sort of a thing. I think it was a little bit after when when the club's official Twitter page puts it up. Like I sort of setting it up to get to get backlash off fans because you know what football fans are like. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, but if someone's bad out in the club and especially on Twitter, like like you touched on there, like it gives any odd, odd gobshite a platform to talk on. So like the fans are always going to jump down the throat and then you're always going to get these sexist comments. But yeah, it was it was very strange to see a, a club like Leeds United doing that or any club doing it really. Yeah, and uh, from my point of view, I didn't see anything wrong with her assessment. I think, as Dave said beforehand, the year before, they did blow up. It's it's quite possible they could have went from strength to strength last year if the lockdown didn't happen. It's also quite possible that they could have burnt out again. So it's very, very interesting to see how Leeds uh, continue on this season and uh, will they be as high energy towards the end of the season. Uh, yeah, definitely something to look out for. Now, Two weeks ago, West Brom decided to sack manager Slavan Bilic after they drew 1-1 away against Manchester City. The club decided that Sam Allardyce and his successful record of surviving in relegation battles was the man to save the club. Three games in and it's one point from nine. They've shipped eight goals in the defeats against Villa and Leeds, but a surprising point against champions Liverpool gives the fans some hope. Or does it, Dave? No, absolutely not. 
because they did it the game before um, under um, Village, where the players showed up in the big game and they showed up in the big game against Liverpool. But then in the two games that really matter most, they conceded eight and scored nothing. And um, we're open all hours against Leeds for most of the game. And then I didn't see much of the Villa game, so I'd be very worried, regardless. Um, Allardyce has brought nothing to the table other than that a long throw so far, as far as I can see. Um, first half, very poor against Liverpool. Um, Ajoy and O'Shea were very wide open. Uh, Manny got the goal, and then he had he had one or two instances where it was straight through the heart of the defence again, which is very disappointing. Um, but the longer the game went on, and they came into it in the second half, the second half against Liverpool was probably their most promising. But they're not the games I'd be getting excited about because if anything that should have been a catalyst to push on and and there was nothing no evidence of that against Leeds yesterday so I'd be worried and there's nothing they, they can hide behind that Liverpool result all they want there's nothing so far to get too excited because the goals aren't there as, 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 as it was just quite clear to see and uh, and they're still shipping goals left right and centre so Sam whether he means it wholeheartedly or not, definitely wants a break so he can really whip these boys into shape because he knows he needs it. Yeah, Neil, looking at the game against Leeds, I was shocked to see how open the team was and the lack of midfield protection in front of the back four. What do you make of Sam's start tactically? Yeah, I I think, you see, Sam has perfectly set up the likes of Liverpool where you know they're going to come at you. You're on a kind of a a free shot as such so he set them up really well first half I mean literally they had all 11 men inside their own third for most of the half they defended very deep they rode their luck maybe once or twice because they started off in the first maybe 10 minutes uh, a little bit at sea and Liverpool were getting down the flanks um, but they gave themselves a platform to build into the game and then as Dave said there he said right they, they really grew into the game then in the second half when they kind of weathered the storm um, but what I would say about West Brom is this isn't a team that has been underperforming or, you know, not living up to their potential. And then Sam comes in and, you know, turns it around and gets them playing to where they are. I think Village had them exactly where we probably thought they would be, maybe plus or minus three points. Um, I don't think with his kind of tactics and the way he has them set up in general and the way he likes to play, he's going to gain enough points. And this is the biggest problem now is that He's a massive, massive hole to get out of. And the only way you get out of that is to get three points in a numerous games. And because they're already at such a disadvantage, he's going to really, really struggle to do that, playing the way he does. And against Leeds then, they went, they literally flipped the opposite way against Liverpool. And they actually played the two up front and proper two up front. But their midfield had holes all over it. Like Leeds just played through them uh, consistently from the, from the width and through the middle. So there's no part of that team function the way that he would have thought beforehand. Um, so, the, yeah, the, I, I'd agree with Dave entirely, entirely there as well. They're the big, big trouble. This is a wonderful, not a, a team that's not living up to its expectation. It's a bang average team promoted when they were probably lucky to do so. Nathan, when you look at the next four games in the Premier League, which are Arsenal, Wolves, West Ham and Man City, you realise there's no real easy games for Big Sam to try and kick on and start a run. No, there's not at all. And there's no one even in that squad that I look at and, and they can point out and say, yeah, look, they could probably drag them to something or they might do something special. Like, even look at the side last year that got relegated. Like, with Bournemouth and had, like, Callum Wilson and Josh Kane. Watford had, like, the Deeney. And even Norwich had, like, a man Pukey and Cantwell every now and again. But with that West Brom side, there's nobody there. Like, they're not worth conceding goals to beat the band. It's the worst defensive record in the league. 
But it wasn't when he scored eleven goals this season. So even going forward, like like who's gonna do it for them? Like Robin Kane, Robson, uh, Glantz, Pereira, Charlie Orson. Nobody there that you can look at that's going to change anything or influence anything. Unless they go into the transfer market, but even at that, it's such an uphill task, as you said, like the fixtures are just would not be kind to them at all. And the fairness, like the three teams that are down there now in the relegation zone, they're, they're all struggling for goals, really. But uh, for me, West Brom is the one that I'd really look at and, and be really concerned about because like, I think the guys I mentioned there, like Kanye and Robertson and everything, they only have three goals between them. So you're looking at these guys be pitching in with much more than that. And it's just, yeah, I can't see them getting out of this hole at all. Like Sheffield, you know, you're having bad to watch, but West Brom have been down there with them. It's been shocking to watch. And I really thought he would have pushed on against Liverpool, you know, like Big Sam coming in. We've seen him do this before, pull off the miracle, but I think this is one miracle too far for Big Sam, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think the transfer window is going to have to be very kind. He's going to have to get three or four really quality and influential players in. Otherwise, it's uh, it's uh, maybe his first relegation. OK, after back-to-back victories over Chelsea and Brighton, Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta started, stated that those results would not change how they approach the transfer window. Dave, there's talk about Isco being a real target to arrive in January. With that type of quality in mind, should Arsenal fans step back from the game and the and the rants and start looking at the bigger picture that Arteta has to address. I'm not I'm not East Coast's biggest fan. I don't think he has the pace for the Premier League. I think he'd be very like a Danny Ceballos. Look nice and pretty, but we'll get swamped up by the the pressing teams. To be honest, personally, so yeah, Arsenal can sign him all they want. Um, I think it, it won't really change the team all that much. I think he needs five or six players, let alone one. Um, but just. It, this is this is how funny this bloody league is this year. You know, two weeks ago we were talking about half tongue in cheek about them being relegation. Now they won two from two and one of them against a, what we would have regarded as a top side in Chelsea. So you never know. It, it, as, as much as I can try and put my finger on it, you just never know. But uh, Isco, yes, it's probably technically an upgrade to what they have, but I just don't think he has the engine or the pace to really put a stamp on what the way they would want him to in the Premier League. Neil, the league is a funny one this year. Chelsea are supposed to have made a fantastic start and Arsenal disastrous start, but there's only six points between the two clubs. Yeah, uh, it's funny because I'm looking back a couple of weeks there when we were kind of judging who we thought were going to be in the title race and who we thought that were maybe punching above their weight. We would have said Southampton are probably punching above their weight and they're Chelsea and a few of these are coming on strong and Chelsea looked absolutely fantastic there for a couple of weeks when they got Thiago in and all their new players kind of settled and bedded. Um, but you look at it, it's amazing how it changes, obviously, within a week or two. Whereas Chelsea and, and Spurs, for that matter, looked like, you know, proper, proper contenders that were here to stay, that had a way of playing, that were coming good. And now within two to three results, they're, they're in no man's land completely. Uh, the Chelsea one is a very interesting one because I think Lampard is absolutely well, I don't want to say he's drowning completely, but he is really, really struggling to get a tune out of that a group of players. And it doesn't seem to matter what way he's tweaking it at the moment. He's even gone back to bringing in Jorginho and Kante, playing Kante as the holding mid and stuff like that. It's just not happening for Chelsea. Um, and Timo Werner sums them up the most because he's absolutely shattered at the moment. I don't think he's up to the schedule. I don't think he's physically uh, ready to play more games. He just looked absolutely bereft of confidence he had a couple of shots the other night which I mean you'd, you'd see in a tennis or, or sorry another tennis game he was dragging balls left and right 
um, they're in trouble and there's Arsenal who were dead and buried bring in a couple of the young lads and it's completely revived them and fair play to them because Arteta needed that badly It's something though Neil that you see with the, the whole league people are winning matches they probably shouldn't win or maybe winning games more comfortable than they should be and then the following week it's the complete opposite they're losing games they shouldn't yeah, it's just been that type of season, hasn't it? I mean, you know, I was even looking at me Paddy Power there, you know, when you're trying to find an accumulator and you're thinking to yourself, geez, there's a dead cert to win. I would have put down, yeah, I'm a bad gambler as well, but I would have put down uh, Chelsea to beat Arsenal every day of the week. You just thought yeah. Chelsea were going to go there, they're going to be business as usual. Arsenal on a horrible, horrible run and Arsenal looked really poor the week or two before it. And they turn them over, and they actually did it in style. Arsenal did the way they beat Chelsea, but it seems to be every week like that. A couple of results, other than the bottom three, three teams or maybe four teams, it just seems the teams are capable of pulling rabbits out of hats and, and, and coming up with big results when they need it. Yeah, Dave, Chelsea have City, Fulham, Leicester, and Wolves. So there's a few tricky games coming up there, and again, hot and cold. But Manchester City are just as hot and cold, and for the last couple of years, Manchester City have been favourites in Champions League, uh, albeit with the, I suppose, mm-hmm. the, the British bookmakers. Do people overtalk and overstate this team now? Because they last year they they weren't great. They they mm-hmm. you could see that they were they were struggling. They're, they're, they're passing the ball. They're starting to look a bit like when Arsene Wenger had his Arsenal team and were passing yeah. for the sake of passing and not getting anywhere where at the start when Wenger went in there they were destroying teams they were clinical they were slicing through teams they just seem to be fading away Yeah they've definitely lost that bit of ruthlessness um, many a time you see the likes of your Sterling kind of doing that run and the balls play through them and instead of either taking the shot and making the pass he'll tuck back in and it's like pull the trigger pull, and then he takes another touch and like they're just they've lost that kind of cutting edge, but I think they are a bit of a team in transition as well, and I think that's what we have to start admitting now that when obviously Pep doesn't want to, but I think that's what it is without maybe Pep knowing, to be honest, because there is like Aguero is in and out, and Jesus is in and out. There's like like a lot of teams just can't get a consistency going because their team is constantly chop chop and changing with injuries. Obviously Fernandinho is not the same influence as he was. Obviously, company going, there's the vacuum of a couple of players. Ruben Diaz has come in, yet to really see how strong he is. Laporte is only back, but not quite as influential as he was. Gundogan is in and out. Maris is in and out. Silva is not playing much games this year, Bernardo Silva. And then, now that he's gone, there's a lot of people waxing lyrical who are ex-City players, just how important David Silva was. So there's another vacuum. So they're probably in a transition without them really wanting to admit it or, or knowing it to be honest and as you said that ruthlessness that cutting edge is definitely missing Manchester United are on a 10 game unbeaten run in the Premier League since the start of November it's that very reason why they found themselves in an unexpected second position after the start they had to the season Ole Gunnar Solskjaer stated that they were not challengers for the title that they'd only be challengers for the title after 30 games and they were in a similar position Nathan are they are they challengers? Well, you have to say they are at the moment. They're sitting pretty in second and uh, Liverpool drop points there this evening against Newcastle. Uh, so, look at the title. It's wide open to the race this season. As you were saying, look, look, look with everything that's going on, like it, it is, it's been a crazy season and it's been 
much more of an open one compared to last season where like just Liverpool were just they were, he won it back on Christmas really didn't he we're like yeah when in fairness to United there was a lot of criticism which even I've been on here before and criticising about a lot of things and it's slowly it's not it's not pierced far from here but, and I'm still pretty pessimistic that it, we won't be able to go the whole way but They've improved the home form. They haven't haven't lost their uh, league game since the fourth November, and they've good quality going forward. And most importantly, they have good strength and depth compared to last season. Like you had the likes of Gallo come back to the bench for them and not doing anything. I was even watching the Wolves game last night, and uh, Martial came on. He looked lovely. He's the sort, that's the sort of person you need coming on with twenty to fifteen twenty minutes to go. So at least there is there's some good signs there. But look, that back squad doesn't fill me with confidence whatsoever. So that's going to be the major issue. Like one Bissaka going forward is absolutely terrible, and even now we still have a couple of positional uh, mistakes he's starting to make, which that can start creeping into his game. Because for me, he's a very good uh, right back uh, with his defensive duties. So if mistakes start creeping into that side of his game, you can really forget about it. If, if he still concede the 20, 23 goals, which is the most of the entire top ten, and look that part, we've talked about that centre back pairing of Maguire and Lindelof um, till the cows come home. In fairness, Maguire looked okay yesterday. But on a consistent basis, it just really isn't good enough. And you need a good defensive partner, uh, a good centre back uh, partnership to win leagues. Like, you know, you've had that to the success, you know, like the Rio Ferdinand and Village and even Bruce and Pallister and just a few more. But the two they have at the moment, and even away from them, you know, like, like the boy who just isn't reliable with injuries. So that really lets you down. But there's, like, there has been improvements, but it's still, it's difficult to look past Liverpool at this point in time. So they're, they're challengers. They're challengers just because they're up there, but they don't have a hope. Yeah, is what you're yeah. saying? No, oh, no, no. You have a hope, of course. You have a hope, but just at the like, you can't win leagues with a dodgy spine to the team, and that's what you know you have at the moment, especially with the centre back. So it's going to be difficult. But what about McTominay or Matic? Who do you prefer in that in midfield position? I prefer McTominay. I have to say, uh, look, Matic is, is decent enough, but. He slows everything down to a halt. Even like let's go back to the Wolves game yesterday when they, they were chasing a goal and then all. And in fairness, even Pogba came on, he got in the ball and there was a bit of quicker movement. But any time Matic found himself on the ball, it was just, just kind of an absolute standstill. He's taking like one, two or three touches and taking his time with everything. Where When you see McCombie play, there seems to be a bit more, a bit more of an eagerness to what he's doing. So I'd, I'd like to see him get a bit more of a playing season enough in the game time but I'd like to see him really go in and set down the mark or, 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 of him as the, the number one uh, Holland midfielder in that game because out of the two of them he, he just has a bit more eagerness on what he's doing and he just does everything with a bit more a bit more bite and a bit more pace where like Matic is a decent guy to come along if you need to, to hold the results but especially when they're chasing something he's just not the person you want on the ball Dave, a lot of fans, both United and Liverpool fans, are starting to look ahead to January 17th and Anfield. But Aston Villa and Southampton would love for these to jump a game ahead of themselves and take their eye off the ball. Oh, 100%, without a shadow of a doubt. Like um, Liverpool certainly can't look beyond it because they, they need to just get the, the wheels back going in the right direction. But it is slowly, as I said in, in, in talking before, and it's slowly creeping up into a very, very important game. You know, United win. It really cranks up the the pressure, on, on, and you can see Sky and all the broadcasters wetting their lips going. And Liverpool, Man United, to potential title, like, whether it's for a few weeks or for the rest of the season, they won't care. They'll crank that up, and that's Liverpool win. You can say right job done or whatever. 
but that game is slowly becoming very, very, very more, bigger than what what uh, what we would have expected it. And uh, the way United are, lads, it's a bit like I think I half said it before, but it's like the usual suspects, you know. Yeah, you know, you have uh, Gabriel Bournes and all that up there, which is Liverpool, City, Chelsea, Spurs, and then there's the little Kaiser Soze in the corner, which is Man United. No one's really wondering why they're up there, but no one's kind of suspecting that they they have a chance. And then slowly but surely now, the limp is starting to walk a bit straighter, and he's going to start looking a bit more. He's got he's getting a bit more of a strut. Um, so I'd be a little bit nervy about them because with this year the way it's going, God only knows. But yeah, just to go back to what you said, yeah, Villa and Southampton would be quite happy because everyone's already starting to talk about it yet it's over two weeks away and there's League Cups and FA Cups in between but the people are already starting to talk about it and it's potential importance for the for the, the, the business end of the season like that's the start of the race then you know yeah, Neil, Liverpool are drawing games last year they would have won tonight Newcastle goalkeeper Darlow kept them out, along with a great defensive and tight defensive plan for, from Newcastle and Steve Bruce is there something Liverpool need to figure out as many teams are going to play this tighter game against them this year yeah um, definitely and look let's be honest the teams have been playing that way against Liverpool for two seasons it's not just you know this is the tour I should say it's not just all of a sudden the new thing the big Sam come in and send 10 behind the ball or you know like Newcastle today and actually to be fair to Bruce today I think he played a way higher line than Liverpool were expecting. Mm-hmm. They pressed Nat Phillips in the back line. They really, uh, they had a bit of power and a bit of pace up front and they uh, they gave Liverpool a bit of a fright as in by pushing them that high. I think Liverpool's biggest problem is, and it, it's something actually I echoed when we were writing on the weekend about United, is when you play Henderson, Milner, and in this case Jones tonight, but definitely Henderson and Milner when they go in at the same time, you're playing the same kind of flavour of defensive mid or midfielder. Uh, and I think if you look at Thiago tonight, Jesus, he was on the field for, what, 18, 20 minutes. The amount of true balls he made where he cut, uh, completely cut 40 yards out of the game and got us on the front foot or the half turn uh, was unbelievable in comparison. I don't know what the full stats were, but I bet you they were class. Um, and that is the difference because... Salah and Mane are finding it way tougher this year because people are either playing three at the back or they're doubling up on them more than often and now you need to start finding something else and maybe that something else is someone like Thiago that can just pick a pass out of nowhere so um, I'm sure Klopp is aware of that but I think um, he needs to select his midfield three very carefully going forward to try and get the most out of that A mini a mini Thiago orgasm there for Nia Go ahead Dave Oh, sorry. Sorry. Stephen Kelly was nothing short of I could hear the trousers slipping down his legs as he was talking about <laughs> I was like it's, the only thing I really noticed about Thiago tonight actually and which I would never have seen he literally won every area battle he was in which I was very Pepper. surprised about. Yeah, he won every but anyway I think a little bit with Liverpool is that, do you know the way Liverpool will put their foot on people's neck and not let go for a long period of time and either they score from a very slick passage of play or just because of that relentless pressure for those 10 or 15 minutes you know that other team are going to book up that's not there at the moment and I just have a sneaky feeling and probably a little a bit of a marriage of what Neil is saying too it is potentially the, the tree in midfield that he's picking but I definitely think there's a little bit of extra protection for the centre forward or centre half parents than what they used to be the midfield are not pressing the way they used to regardless of who's in it um, over the last couple of weeks and, and, and I think that's where we're slipping up a little bit that we're not putting that constant squeeze on teams where yeah 
like today there was a couple of jabs for a minute or two, but there wasn't that five or ten minutes where you're like, yeah, they're going to crack or we're, we're going to do a nice patch of play. And I just think there's a bit of a protection for that um, uh, centre-half pairing because, yeah, the two full-backs are still bombing on trying to do what they can do. But I think there's a bit of a mixture of that and a bit of protection for the boys because Phillips and Williams are doing okay-ish, but the two of them having a bead of pace. And I think there's a bit of, I think it's a bit of extra comfort for them. A little bit, a little bit with what Neil thinks. Okay. With Everton's game against Manchester City and Tottenham versus Fulham being called off due to COVID cases within the clubs and with the rise of cases in England, would the Premier League break be a help or a hindrance now? Yeah, so we're thinking about this one there today. So people were getting, so first and foremost, I guess, if you look at sports having a game off, so it's the middle of their kind of three games. If you're ever going to pick a game, this is going to be it where you pay, you know, you play every whatever 48 hours um, or, or, more, or, or, you know, it's two to three days at least. So it does help them in the short term insofar as it doesn't give you that headache of having to rest players uh, or rotate your squad. But at the end of the day, if they go and say, for example, they broke for now for two weeks or next week for two weeks, you're still going to have to catch up them fixtures. Uh, there's a deadline this year uh, that they need to get to. So sooner or later, you're going to have to play them fixtures. So what's going to happen is, if you if it suits them now, say the likes of Sam Allardyce or whatever, fair enough, you get your two weeks off. But maybe around uh, the end of February, March, you're going to end up playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, or something like that, almost Champions League-esque. And is that going to suit them then when you know when it gets into that uh, situation? So... Um, I think for some they'd be very they'd be reasonably happy to to get some sort of a break, and I think for others it's going to be a huge problem, especially if you're on the wrong end of the table that you have to play three or four games in a very short period of time, uh, because the league can't be pushed out this year. So um, yeah, short term they might think it'll help, but eventually that is going to catch up on you. And also, like with the two weeks, like, that's the one that's being mentioned. Like, like it's, we've touched on already, like the exam was saying that he thinks there'll be a two-week break. You're not going to really see any effects in such a short time frame. If, like, and they're going to give a break. It needs to be more than two weeks. That's what they're going to get four or five days off. And then they're going to have to come back and mix again and get ready for training and get ready for the, for the game ahead. So it, it's going to, the two-week break won't do well at this stage. So it just seems pretty pointless to me at this stage. And like Neil said, it's it's all going to have to be pushed out, so just carry on as you are at the moment. Yeah, it does seem a bit weird that Manchester City's game was called off the other day and they're back training today, so yep. it kind of makes it a, a, a bit of a farce of it all. Okay, it's time for this. Yes, it's a bit of transfer talk. We're getting to that time again, January transfer window. So we're going to go through, uh, I suppose, a player or a club each. And Dave, you wanted to start with Wijnaldum, who was on the bench tonight and seemingly not the reason that his contract is slipping down, but just giving him a rest. But yeah, his contract is slipping down. And you might touch on Salah because uh, not everything's rosy there either. Yeah, um, just to, well, yeah, we'll go back to Salah in a second. But with Wijnaldum... Um I, I think it's the end of this week. Oh, sorry. Uh, from Monday onwards, he is open to talk to other clubs because he's in the final six months of his contract. The general consensus is that he does want to stay. Um, he wants. He he knows what he wants. Liverpool 
are not quite there yet because it kind of goes against their general pay structure. Like they're more looking at his age more so than what he's producing on the field. Um, so there is there's the talk of a general kind of meeting in the middle, so to speak, because they don't want to completely uh, uh, succumb to all his demands. But sitting in the shadows uh, will be his ex-international manager, Ronald Koeman at Barcelona, who I'd say Barcelona will have no problem trying to match whatever he's looking for. But by all accounts, he wants to stay. Today was irrelevant. I think it was a, it was one of, it was a rest game for him. Um, and he's quite happy to stay and wants to stay. But it's, it's a case of more Liverpool needing to, yeah, maybe meet in the middle to kind of give him what he thinks he wants. He wants to be up in the top bracket with the rest of the boys. And uh, meet, does meet in the middle, what does meet in the middle mean? Give him what he wants. No, not necessarily. I'd say there's. I'm sure there'll be a coming together. But if they succumb, they're a bit torn about what to do because they don't want to rip up the. Because he, I think apparently he's he's on lower than what you, he's on a significantly lower than what the top boys are on. And if they kind of give in the top money for a 30 year old, it completely blows out of the water what their pay structure is. A bit like what you've heard with Arsenal, Arsenal and under Wenger and stuff like that. So they're a little bit torn. But by all accounts, talks are quite smooth talks are quite decent and amicable but it's just whether there's going to be a, an agreement by, by the end of this week but by all accounts it will be done and dusted so we'll know probably by midweek next week whether he's open for business and open to other offers or whether he signed a new contract but it will all be done within the next week so it'll be interesting to see how it goes and then in relation to just, Salah, on, just yeah. on that before you finish and Dave Barcelona would be a big threat though wouldn't they because I mean they are in a situation where they need to get players in they're struggling over in, in the league at the moment oh, and they'll pay they'll pay more probably than what Liverpool you know more than what Liverpool would pay if if they're gonna not give him the, the the full whack. So, and he has a Dutch manager there who he's played with before. So, yeah. Liverpool might have to pay more than they really want to. Oh, 100 percent, and I think that's what's dragging this out. And I, Liverpool obviously wants to keep him, and he obviously wants to stay, but they're not ready. They still haven't met, met an agreement, and that's why this should be well sorted by now. So it's just whether Liverpool are willing to buckle. Or when Alden will take a couple of quid off, um, uh, it's it's just hard to find out where where's the common ground going to be. But without a shadow of a doubt, Barcelona will pay whatever it needs needs to be done because he will be an upgrade for that team. That are they're, they're desperate for, it, especially in midfield, they've little or nothing in there, in my opinion. So he'd be a, he'd be a definite upgrade. But uh, it's just whether they'll come together and, and reach an agreement with Liverpool buckle or will he come down? And say, it's hard to say. But by all accounts, it's going smooth enough. It's just a case of whether, because one way or another, I think he's our best midfielder, and two, it'd be it'd be horrible to see him go for nothing on a Liverpool perspective. So deep down, I'd love to see him stay, but if he's staying, he's staying more long term. It's not staying just so he can, or he signs a new contract just so he can make a few good out of him. If he signs a new contract, he's with us for the for the best for the remaining best years of his of his career. Yeah, I can see him going. Why have they let it go down to six months mm-hmm. already? Uh, just. Just the seems it seems to me with Thiago coming in there as well. Just seems to me that yeah. they're not going to give in. Uh, yeah, just on Salah. Yeah, the, 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 somebody it was his friend or a, a teammate or an ex teammate or something saying he was unhappy, but then he's kind of coming out posting uh, pictures on his Instagram, kind of saying he was happy. So yeah, listen, the the, the, the rumor train is really going to gather momentum. There's been rumors anyway that. Liverpool eventually will cash in on one of their big boys. Obviously, 
uh, there's rumours that he would be. He, they, 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 I don't think they came from him, but I think it's from. I can't think of the guy's name, an Egyptian uh, player that he'd love to go to Spain and this, that, and the other. Listen, that's going to crank up a notch over the next while, and obviously coming off at the end will 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 help fuel a few rumours in a few papers over the next few days. But then when you're hearing from other respected uh, kind of guys who are in the know within Liverpool uh, circles, he's more than happy there, and I think he's quite happy to be. Find it with one of the better teams in Europe at the minute, and he's not quite willing to go as of yet. But that, in saying that, Liverpool could easily maybe cash in in the summer for their next build, try and build the next team to, to have another crack. Okay, well, we'll see now over the, the, uh, the I can't see the Salah thing being done, uh, you know, in January no. or anything like that. So that'd be more towards the summer. Uh, Erling Haaland will become a Barcelona player if uh, Emilio Roussand wins the club presidential elections according to the candidate's advisor. Borussia Dortmund striker Haaland is among the world's top talents and has been linked with a move away to some top clubs in England, Spain and Italy. He joined Dortmund from Salzburg in 2020, uh, January 2020, this time last year, and has three and a half years left on his contract. Roussand's aide, Joseph Maria Manguala, suggested that an agreement with Haaland's agent, Mina Raiola, is already in place for a new camp switch in the future. He said, we know all the conditions and if we win the following day, I will call Mino Riola and we will accept those conditions. I have already advised him of that. We have a world-class sports project that is not showing just now, but Emilia Roussand has a plan that will turn this unfortunate situation around. He always got, also goes on to talk about Mbappe. Uh, they, they're looking at him. It is more a little bit more complicated because Mbappe's contract ends next year. We are on top of this issue and movements have already been made. We are there. So that's going to be a, an interesting one there to see uh, Mina Raiola not, not known for trying to move his players on early in contracts. Um, uh, it looks, it look, kind of looks like he's going to go do that again. Neil, when I asked you who you wanted to discuss in the transfer talk, you said, give me Delhi Ali. You must be the only one saying that at the moment, or has there been some interest? Yeah, so I find this interesting. So if anyone uh, watched the Tottenham documentary uh, where Mourinho came into the club and they had all the cameras on him and all the rest for Amazon, uh, like literally day one, Mourinho singled him out and said, you're a lazy trainer. Uh, I've heard stories about you, and he tried to get a reaction out of him. And then, obviously, a couple more episodes in, he went up to Daniel Levy and was kind of saying, oh, listen, this guy is breaking me heart. He's not training hard enough. He's not doing the job. And then, lo and behold, he finds himself literally frozen out. Uh, he came on the other night, was it against Stoke? Actually, was running around like a lunatic, I thought, on the field. And then when he was subbed off, Mourinho blamed him for uh, giving away a goal or or participating and giving away a goal. So um, he definitely seemed to be the guy that Marino has his eye on. If you remember when he was at United, he kind of got stuck into Luke Shaw. You know, he, he always seems to have a guy that he kind of makes an example out of. It's generally, I would imagine, the guy that's not working as hard as everybody else because that's Marino philosophy, or philosophy, you know, that whole, you know, the team and burst and galvanizing and whatnot. Um, but I was thinking more about it today, and there was a, a pop up come up about Paris Saint Germain being interested in him. Now, obviously, this comes on the basis that you know Pochettino could be called to Paris Saint Germain, so that's one step forward. And then the next step then would be where could Deli Ali go? So the other side of it as well is is that 
they're sitting on a very, very valuable commodity in Delhi Alley. And I think you'd be highly sought after by a lot of managers, be it Premier League or elsewhere. Um, now, Paris Saint-Germain, if he has to go outside of England, that would be a decent place for him to go if Pochettino is there, if he was up to it. But I would say he would be up to going absolutely anywhere at the moment because he's desperate to play football. There's a tournament next year, next summer. He is in nowhere near contention for for England. He's lost his England place. It's an absolute massive fall from grace. So, uh, yeah, I think there'd be a lot of suitors. Uh, I don't. I think he would go for a better price than he would have maybe two years ago, as in a more attractable price. So yeah, I think there's legs on that. Okay, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, the Pochettino thing at PSG. I just ask you, Nathan, can Pochettino bring PSG to the next level, as in win the Champions League? I'm not sure, really. Like he's a very good manager. Don't get me wrong. He's done a great job at Tottenham, but uh, even in terms of silverware, it has, hasn't won anything. Um, look at the very talented. Um, PSG squad there at the moment a lot of good players it's, it's on a bit who he brings in really like part of Delhi Alley I personally don't see anything in Delhi Alley you know, like going back to United for a second he was, you know, was half linked with them and I think we're saying to one of the lads he's just a, he's an improved version of Jesse Lingard so mm. make it out really what, what you will but um, what you find though with Pochettino Nathan is that his his teams are together that they, they work hard for yeah. each other and that's something that PSG Mostly, mostly, we'll say maybe Bar last year they, they they got on a roll together and what have you, but they always seem to be always seem to be some sort of fragmentation there between you know the group or people fighting in house fighting or whatever. Pochettino could be someone who actually galvanizes them together. Yeah, in fairness, he did. He went into Southampton, wasn't it, that time, and got them all playing playing on the same uh, not the same hymn sheet. So yeah, look, it could be something that could work out. That's always been uh, their issue. Like up the PSG win the league, but it's never a problem. It's literally a given at this stage. But to do on the European stage, you do need a top manager. I'm not saying he's not a top manager. Like I, I really like Pochettino as a manager. I think he's a great coach, and like you said, he brings everybody together. Could be the right man for uh, for PSG definitely. But I think it is all a lot of it will fall down as well to what type of player he brings in. And they're looking at someone like Deli Ali. That's for me, it's, it's not the right one. Like. It's, Mourinho was taking him out by his attitude. You'll have to sort of look into that and, and take him by his water, I suppose, don't you? That's it. That's it. Dave, what's your thoughts on that? Which bit? Uh, Pochettino. Pochettino, and, and, and Pochettino uh, regardless of galvanise the team, he needs to get the uh, the sniper rifle and, and take a few of them out. There's, there's no way he can galvanise that team or anybody for that matter uh, unless he, he gets rid of one or two of the, the, the egos in there, which they have. No one. There's been too many in there. It's not going to happen unless they give him a bit of time, throw some of them out. Mbappe's probably going to go anyway, which he'd be one of the good guys. Neymar seems to be the biggest distraction in the world. Di Maria, yeah, you know, there's there's far too many kind of bad eggs in there and he'd need to shift them. There's no way he's going to get them working together, in my opinion. Um, so Ali going there for him, yeah, it's an alloy. Every every manager does it. There's already a rumour that Lloris is, going to, is one of his targets as well. So, He'll bring in a few of his lieutenants and then slowly try and put a stamp on the team, but he won't be able to do it. I don't think he'll do it with that current squad. He'd have to bring in a few of his own, get rid of the bad egg, and then, yes, he'll have a team galvanised, but not what's sitting there already. Nathan Diego Costa had his contract terminated by Atletico Madrid during the week. Where is his next destination likely to be? Yeah, he did. Um, there was a couple of... Uh, early punters are already uh, apparently coming in and, and keeping a eye on Diego Costa. 
whether that be for the January transfer window or when it's pushed out the summer. And there's, the, the heavier speculation seems to be coming for a return to the Premier League. I don't even think he had his locker cleared out and Arsenal was being floated around to him. Obviously, look, they want somebody to come in, a band behind just hasn't got going this season for him. Wolves, another one, is probably the, the, the most, more, the, one, the more likely ones to happen. He'd probably come in and replace him and Ed. Obviously, got that, that horrific injury. and just be, just be happy to see him and Ed coming back and playing. And Tottenham have now come out as it, it, the more recent uh, destination for, for Diego Costa. Obviously, he won the league. Uh, we're holding Mourinho. It's all this, this 2014, 2015 season. So, look, and he knows the league. Uh, he played, obviously, they played for Chelsea for two years. Scored 52 goals and 18 appearances. But had a bit of a falling out with uh, Antonio Conte that time. So, it was nothing to do with Mourinho. So, by all accounts, the two on good terms. And, and, and move to, uh, to Tottenham could be likely enough. Whether he gets into that side, I don't know. I, I don't see him playing ahead of the likes of uh, Harry Kane's son at the moment. I don't know what you think about that one. But even away from the Premier League, he had the likes of Real Madrid and AC Milan also being interested in the striker. Like, I know it's a bit of a head case, but you wouldn't like to think he'd, uh, he'd, he'd play from Aleppo Madrid to Real Madrid. That would be the uh, Figo levels of nuclear heat that lad would get on his baton. But look, the AC Milan one could be interesting enough. Serie A for Stoutum, there was 42. Um, never been known for his speed. He's known for most physical attributes. You look at someone like Lukaku when he left for Manchester United for being slating, for being probably the, not lazy, but being slow and not not being pacey enough. And when he initially went to Inter Milan, he, he hit the ground running. So that could be a destination that could suit Diego Costa. But I think it was speaking likely. You're more than likely to see him end up in the Premier League with the likes of Wolves. Definitely likely to see him going to Tottenham. Neil, when you look at Diego Costa and you see him fitting in with Atletico Madrid, everyone thinks this is the perfect match. Does the fact that he has his contract terminated kind of signal that it's the, the beginning of the end? Yeah, well, if he, to be fair to Costa, well, not to be fair to Costa, to go against, I guess, he's always <laughs> been a headbanger. But you ever see, remember the interview he did with Thierry Henry, the one that Nathan was on about when he fell out with, um, with Conte at Chelsea? And they were on Sky and they were on the golf course and Henri was asking, you know, what do you think of the season and all? And he literally just turned around and went, you know what? I want Dewey here. I don't want nothing got to do with Chelsea anymore. And he said, and Henri nearly coughed up his soup. He was going, what? After saying live on air. So he just seemed to be a very much me, myself and I type of guy. Um, whether that worries people, I don't know. Uh, is he worth a risk? I think he probably is. And I think if you're the likes of Wolves, um, as Nate was saying there, I think they would love a guy like him because, I mean, they've got wit. They've got men crossing in the ball. You think Costa would be absolutely the man to get in there and give you... Do you know what it is? Even if they got eight or ten games at the end of the season and then see where they're fixed with him and Ez coming back, well, he would be an ideal replacement for that because just purely because of the way Wolves play. Um, whether or not someone will take that risk or what sort of package he comes with or... What they'd have to pay him, uh, I don't know. But if, I think if the deal was right, um, I think Wolves would have to take a gamble on him. Uh, I'll put it like this, he's not as big a gamble as Mario Baratelli and he ended up in the Premier League. So there you go. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> okay, lads, we're going to leave it there. That's the last show for 2020. Uh, hopefully the football doesn't stop uh, the other side of the new year and we're back here again next week. Dave, Neil, Nathan, thanks very much. 